is Steve crying. That's my wife over there in the green shirt. Wave, hon. My, my grandson, Vinny, and my daughter, Angela. And uh, it's just so good to be here this morning. Uh, we've been praying for the pastor and his wife and kids and the new one, and it's, uh, it's just a tremendous time. There's nothing like growing a church with people. Uh, this morning, uh, we'll be in John chapter 5. We'll uh, pick up halfway through, through verse 37, although we'll read all of that, and then on to verse 47. Um, normally I would take my watch off, and I didn't bring it today because there's one up there that I can actually see, so it's fine. So normally I would take my watch off now, and I'd make this comment. What does it mean when a preacher takes off his watch? <laughs> absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's right. Just absolutely nothing. But we have two services, so I have this one. I got I got to end on time, so... Um, we've been going through the book of John, verse by verse, word... Word, and I love that. I just love the exposition of the scriptures where we hear what God has to say, every word of it. We hear uh, commentary on how it came about and what it means, and then we hear how to apply it to our lives. And we don't get to skip any of the verses. It's just a tremendous honor to not be able to skip verses because. Let's see here. I think I got them both here, do I? Yes, I do. Um, and, and this is an audience participation part. So uh, what is this? Highlighter. Highlighter, yes. What is this? It's a marker, right? This is black. So if you, if you mark your Bible with this one, what does it do? Yeah, and it hides the word. You understand that? There are people who use this more than this, and call themselves Christians. The fact of the matter is, this word from God has been delivered to us in a complete form. Complete meaning full. And if you take parts out of it, you will not understand any of it, and you will not follow any of it correctly. And that's where we find the Jews... The teachers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that's where they were at this time when Jesus is confronting them with their black marker pens. And uh, to, to, miss, to miss that, to, to think that it means something other than what it says, would be to miss what God has to say to you. So, in an effort to not get in the way too much, I'll shut up and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We just thank you, God, that you've protected it over the centuries and you've delivered it to us in an understandable language. We can read your word. We can understand your word. We can obey your word or not to our peril. I pray, Lord, this morning that None of the words that I speak would be my own, but, Lord, that you would speak through me the application of these scriptures to our souls. I pray that you would be lifted up in this place, Lord, that we would see you. And, Lord, I also pray that we wouldn't leave just being the same, but that we would be affected by your truth. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So, John chapter 5, we went through 37 last week, but we'll pick up there again. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another one comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? When he begins uh, this portion by saying that, um, that the Father uh, sent him and bore witness about him, there's all kinds of ways he's, he's talking about that happening, but the main one that we think of is the baptism of Jesus. He came to be baptized. Uh, John the Baptist was a great guy, loved the Lord, a little bit kooky. Uh, I mean, the, the Spirit of God was on him so heavy that he was awed. And there are people like that today, and maybe some of us are like that, I don't know, but it's okay to be awed. You know, if we were all the same, it would be a boring world. But God brought us uh, to live who we are in him. He created us, created each of us specifically for a purpose. And he has a plan for our lives. I believe that wholeheartedly. So Jesus is speaking about how God has borne witness. And in the baptism, we see uh, the three parts of the Trinity. We see or we hear God speaking from heaven. Um, We know the dove descended and that was representative of the Holy Spirit coming down on him. And then there's Jesus, the Son of God. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a perfect way to help people understand the Trinity. One God revealed in three persons. And uh, having that kind of witness spoken on your behalf is a great thing. And Jesus knows that. He knows he's there with this purpose. To show these people that they're missing God. In, the, in, in every way possible to miss God. He says then, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Um, when, we, when we hear the word of God and we open our hearts to that word, it changes us. Um, for people who close their ear to the word, When they hear the word of God, it doesn't change them, but it hardens them. You understand that? It's not that people just haven't made their mind up. 
Sometimes people have made their mind up very solidly, and they do not believe. They choose to not believe. The Word brings them to that. It's a hard thing, the Word. It is. Jesus we speak of as the rock because Scripture refers to him that way. And the hippies used to say, because I knew some of them, used to say that Jesus is the rock and he rolls my sin away. There's a song about that. But also, if you fall on a rock, if you fall onto a lawn and you're, say you're 10 feet up and you fall onto the lawn, if you can drop and roll, you'll probably survive, might have some joints hurting or something. But if you fall on concrete from 10 feet, which I've done, by the way, it, it, it requires a hospital stay and, and maybe even a surgery or two. Um, because it's hard. And, and the word will either crush you or it'll break you wide open. If it crushes you, it's like a steamroller and it compacts you and you become more and more set in your ways. Like when Moses was going before the Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. I usually do that with a deep voicing, but I won't do that today. And, and he... Uh, Pharaoh, it says that each time that Moses came to him with that request, and each time he rejected him, the Bible said, and the Lord hardened his heart. The word of God makes hearts either break wide open and receive him, or if you set your jaw and you decide, I'm not, you know, you're just going to be crushed, you'll be beaten. And these Pharisees that he's talking to, that's mostly who he's dealing with in this, in this uh, passage, I believe. They believed in an eternal life. <clears throat> and they believed clearly that the way they got to that eternal life was that they were the best teacher they could be. They uh, studied more than anybody else. They fasted on the appropriate days. Maybe they fasted on extra days. Excuse me. I knew I brought this up here for a reason. But there was really a competition among them, and it was the person that looks the best, sounds the best, uh, uh, sacrifices the best. Those are the guys that are going to be in the inner sanctum, you know. And uh, it was disgusting to Jesus because the Bible says that Jesus is the one who spoke and things came into being. He was the creative word of God. He created everything. Jesus was there when the, the law of Moses was delivered. He was there when Moses got upset and broke the tablets. He was there when the people started whining and crying because they had manna every day and they wanted something else. They weren't even happy with quail, by the way. So, um, Jesus knew all of these truths, and he knew that the word of God, as revealed in the commandments of God, He knew that they were a tool of the Father to reveal the hardness of heart. Because first of all, you cannot live perfectly by the word of the commandments that God gave. In your own strength. There are people who say, oh, come on, what are you talking about? I'm not so bad. There are things that that uh, other people do that I don't do. But the fact is, the word drives us to a conclusion. The commandments of God, the Ten Commandments and all of the other following commandments, will bring you to a place that you realize, I don't measure up, I cannot measure up, and I need something to help me measure up. 
And Jesus is the one. He fulfills the law. He lives it perfectly, never having sinned, ever. He's the perfect will of God for us as a people and even as individuals. Because as he works in you, it brings you to do the will of, and pleasure of God. And if you, if you tighten your fist or your jaw, and by the way, this happens with Christians. I don't know if you know that, but we're not quite perfect yet. And, and we need to remember, we are, we are positionally here on earth um, with, with hearts that still struggle against God's truth. We're not always perfectly obedient. And so we need to be continually cleansed by the blood of Jesus and our minds renewed by his word. But also, um, the, the path that Jesus takes to lead us, to show us how to live for him, um, brings people to where sometimes they'll, they'll observe Christians and they'll say, well, I don't understand why they do this, this, and this. And they'll come up with things they're not happy about. But we need to understand that, that while we're all considered perfect because of the sanctification of God, we're still here on earth. We still have the seeds of sin in us. And we need to let God be God and bring us to fulfillment. I, I, I'll get back to this now. <laughs> he said to them here in verse 39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And in, in the King James in the olden days, there's, there's a, an adverb used that they included to make it more forceful. And it was, you diligently seek, search the scriptures. So what's wrong with being diligent? Well, if you were diligently online uh, studying how to make a pipe bomb and, and blow something up, that diligence would be a bad thing, Right? You could, uh, is there anything wrong with the internet? All kinds of things. Is there anything wrong with having it available? No, but you, we have to filter it. If you're online diligently seeking, like scriptures, there's some great helps online. But diligence doesn't uh, denote perfection or, or purity. It just, it just denotes a stubbornness to find something. You're going you're gonna to keep at it, and you're going to do everything required. What these guys were doing is they were taking... God's word and his commandments, and then they were diligently working to find a way to have that make them look better or, or sound better or maybe even be better. Maybe they were self-help people. I don't know. But Jesus, um, because he is who he is, was fulfilling. And, and if you count them, by the way, there's more than 300 individual scriptures in the Old Testament that speak of Jesus. He fulfilled each one of them. Um, the, the, the historian Josephus uh, recorded that during the time of Christ, before and after, there were all kinds of false messiahs. People that came, said, I'm the one, and get some people to follow him and all that. And it, all of it ended in, in, you know, in horrible tragedy. It just, it, just, uh, it just did not work out for him that well. <laughs> but Jesus comes, and he fulfills every one of those uh, prophecies, and if you if you have friends who are struggling, they're not sure about Jesus. They're not sure about Christianity. Maybe they're not sure about you, and uh, and they and they struggle with this idea of how can you be sure he's the one? Because I've got friends that are Buddhist, or I've got friends that are Hindu, or whatever. 
And uh, you have to just show them some of those scriptures. If they really are asking with a curiosity and you want to help them with it, you show them some of those scriptures that he fulfilled because it's impossible to do it. It's impossible to fulfill a dozen of these things. A dozen of these things would be impossible for anybody to just make happen. And the funny thing about it is, by the way, Jesus fulfilled the things they didn't even understand. Things that the Jews did not comprehend. Jesus fulfilled them. And then after the fact, after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples were able to say, that's what that was talking about. Because they misappropriated and misapplied God's word. So, here's Jesus who fulfills all these uh, prophecies, and yet he's rejected by them. And the reason for that is the weight, the pressure of the law was just squeezing them down into the essence of their evil. They would reject God even though they had his commandments and, and his whole word. I mean, you read through the Old Testament today, and it's not all horrible. And it's not an angry God, you know, beating people up. There's some beautiful passages that are poetic and that people who do not even believe in God will have maybe hanging in a plaque on, on a plaque on their wall. And, uh, and so they had all of that good stuff and some of it really beautiful and they completely misappropriated it. So, if you have the Son of God who fulfills all of those prophecies and he comes in a perfect life and they reject him, it shows that they're rejecting scripture and they're rejecting God, even though they didn't believe Jesus was God. In rejecting him, they were rejecting God. And the reason they did that, according to Jesus here in verse 40, is you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So this would be like a guy on his deathbed and you're sitting there with the Bible open and you're sharing with him the truth of God. It would be like him saying, I understand all that, but no, I'm going to die in my sin. And that's the way these teachers were. They were so full that uh, they were so full of the hope in their in their um, in their walk, in their habitual service, in their commitment to doing what they thought was right, that they couldn't see the truth when it was in front of them. In verse 41, he says, "I do not re- receive glory from people, but I know." That you do not have the God, uh, you do not have the love of God within you. There's there's something about how we um, pat each other on the back or we give each other attaboys, that kind of stuff. There's something about that that's totally normal and beautiful and wonderful. But if you become one of those people who's constantly hanging there waiting for somebody to say something good to you, and if they don't say, "Man, you nailed it," or "Boy, you're a great guy," or whatever then your day is is horrible because you didn't hear an encouraging word. We need to be encouragers, and it's okay to be encouraged by other people. But we, we do not need to be in that position where we're always seeking the accolades, the, attides, uh, the attaboys of men. Um, the, 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 um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees misapplied Scripture Christians heard the truth of Jesus and they applied it correctly. And it, it leaves you in a free place to decide what you're going to do with God's truth. And the question really before us in this whole chapter is, what, 
what do we seek God for? Why do you seek God? Because if you're seeking him to get out of jail free, if it's just to stay away from hell, um, that's a problem. Because there's, there's so much of Jesus for us to enjoy, experience, and interact with here in this life that... To just be talking about fire insurance is, is just a waste, a total waste. Um, years ago, there was a, a singer, um, Andre Crouch, had a group called The Disciples. Very talented man, and I'm sure he loved the Lord with his whole heart. He went on to be with the Lord a few years ago. Um, but he had this song, and, and I sang it at church because I was, I was asked to. And I, I said, I, you know, I just have a few issues with that. Well, go ahead and sing it. And it was... Um, You may ask me why I serve the Lord. Is it just for heaven's gain? Um, And it talks a lot about heaven. And then he says, uh, If heaven never was promised to me, neither God's promise to live eternally, it's been worth just having the Lord in my life. Living in a world of darkness, he came along and brought me the light. And uh, it all sounds good, but it's not true. Um. It is wonderful having the presence of Jesus in our lives every day. He's an encourager. He's a a confidant. Uh, If you speak to him, he listens, and he will speak to you. So not always in, you know, an audible voice, but you'll know what he's saying to you. And it is wonderful having his blessing on our life and providing us and keeping us safe. But Paul said, if we... If we do not have uh, the gift of eternal life, he said, we are of all men to be the most pitied. Because they're giving up everything for a promise, and if it's not true, where do we go with it? How, How can we trust God for anything if we can't trust him for heaven? So you give up everything here. You live a life of submission to him. You have the beautiful presence of his spirit calming your heart leading you guiding you and and at your death unless it happens really quick you'll be thinking about being with Jesus won't you i mean don't we have that hope these pharisees had the hope of fulfilling the law in their lives and they knew they were stinking liars they knew it and so they were putting on airs Um, he says in verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. And he's being prophetic there. They They did accept many of the false messiahs. Um... I I need to digress here for just a second. I I had a, a... experience uh, years ago, a long time ago. Uh, I had a friend who was doing a dissertation for his uh, doctorate at Regents up in British Columbia. And he wrote a book. And he didn't have a computer at that time. It was when computers were fairly new on the scene. And I had a computer. And so he'd give me these, uh, his, his writings. And I'd, he'd typed them out. But I'd take them and enter them in the computer. And then make them readable, you know, and give them some headers and indents and points and all that kind of stuff in the right 
the right kind of things that you could hand to somebody to publish a book. And he got his book published. And his, uh, one of his best instructors up in British Columbia was uh, Dr. Gordon Fee, wonderful man of God, great theologian, uh, came out of the um, Assembly of God movement, which is where my family's, uh, where we came from. I, can't, I grew up in assembly churches. And, uh, and yet he's the scholar who disagrees with them a lot, <laughs> and, which is okay, because he, he disagrees on every right point. Um, but Gordon Fee wrote the introduction to this, to this book. And so we're uh, attending church at Calvary Chapel, uh, Skagit Valley, uh, in Mount, West Mount Vernon at the time. And my pastor called me, and he says, Hey, uh, tomorrow uh, Gordon Fee is going to be teaching at, at this church down south. Uh, you want to go? And so I got a hold of friends, and we took a couple carloads of people down just to see or hear Gordon Fee speak. I, I watched him on YouTube and a little bit. That was, well, it wasn't called YouTube. I saw videos of him <laughs> that people had posted and, uh, and read some of his writings. And uh, so we get to this church, and it was, a, it was a big, huge church and very, very wealthy church. And there were people that were uh, probably wonderful people, professional people that wore nice clothes and they had a nice family, a perfect-looking family. And they had, they had uh, worked there at that church uh, in volunteering for years, and they were moving out of state. So the pastor you know, had, had said, we have Dr. Gordon Fee here, uh, and he's going to speak. But um, before that, uh, we'd have, could the family come up? And this family came up on stage, and he had the elders come up, and then everybody was supposed to reach your hand out toward him and pray for him. And before we prayed, he talked about them and all the things that they did. He thanked them for their service, which is great. It's fine. But then he started talking about their education, where they both worked, how successful they were, how well they represented the gospel because of their success, and how we all should be like that. And I was sitting there listening to that. And I'm looking over to the side, and I see Gordon Fee's like crossing his legs this way and then crossing his legs, legs that way, and just kind of like he's starting to just vibrate a little bit. And uh, they were just giving glory to these people, and thanking people is required. We need to do that, and we need to be sure that people understand that we love them and we appreciate what they've done. But going on and on and building somebody up like that, it, all it feeds is ego. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with the ego if, if it is not misdirected. I mean, we, we all have an ego that keeps us healthy. It keeps us balanced. But when you let it rule the day, that's a problem. So Gordon Fee got up and he said, well, today I was asked to come here and kind of give an overview of the letters to the Corinthians. But you know what? Let's talk about, and then he went through scriptures about living humbly before God. He actually used some of these scriptures and said, don't wait for the accolades of men. Live unto the, uh, unto the Father. Live with your life toward heaven. And uh, he, just, he didn't slam the people or anything, but he just said, here's how we are to live today. And at the very end, after he was done, the pastor got up and just said, thank you very much. And, you know, kind of, I mean, he got out of the building fast. And we hung around, got to talk to uh, Dr. Gordon Fee. And, and uh, I said, so, you know, uh, remember this guy and said his name? He said, yeah. And I said, uh, you wrote an introduction to his, uh, to his book. And he said, yeah. And I said, and he thanked you in, in the, in the front, under the front cover. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. He says, I, ha- I have that book on my shelf. It's good. 
And I said, did you see him saying thank you to Computer Steve? And he said, yes. I said, I'm Steve, and I'm seeking the accolades of men. <laughs> By the way, my friend was in uh, at Regents visiting some friends a few years ago, and he saw his book in the bookstore. And he's, he's looking at it, and he said, wow, they got one of my books up here. And he, he's buying something else, talks to the gal, and he said, hey, I saw this book, and he named it. And she said, he said, I see you have that. That's kind of rare, isn't it? She says, well, it just hasn't sold. <laughs> so he got his accolades from men. But Jesus was not happy with what these people were doing with giving each other, you know, these high fives and stuff. He says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In, in every point that Jesus uh, brings to these guys, he's, he's revealing their condemnation. It's like the way they viewed the world condemned them because they were on the top of the heap of the world. That, it was just self-centered. Their desire for recognition, which was just evident, it condemns them. Their rejection of Christ, obviously that's the big one that condemns them because you could have some problems in your attitude, in your ego, and as long as you receive Christ, he will begin to change you. People will say, well, I'm not completely changed. Well, you know what? If you, if you were able to graph out your spiritual life and look at your first love, when you first came to Jesus, what you were like. Now, maybe you were more excited then than you seem to be now. I don't know. But if you were able to graph that, you would see your spirituality as a Christian. If you're healthy, if you're in a healthy church like this and people are honest with you, like we should be, you'll see that your spirituality has grown and your carnality has gone down. You have. And yet, when we sin, and you know when you do, don't you? I mean, we, uh, we're our bit, biggest critics, usually, if we're being honest. When you sin, it seems as big to you as whatever was going on before you knew Jesus. But the fact is, the closer we get to God, the more, like those lights right there, the more of his light reveals the sin that's in our hearts. And so you see it better because the light is so bright. And the better we get in our eyes opening up and allowing the light of God to shine in, the more we're going to see our sin. So, conviction is good. Self-condemnation is bad. Usually when people are really tied into condemning themselves, it's, it's an ego problem. Because they really want somebody somewhere to say, well, you're really not that bad. Now, if you're struggling with that, I'm not, I'm not trying to put anybody down. I just want you to know, Jesus has a better plan for us than, than for us to go on day to day condemning ourselves. The failure to be humble of these, of these supposed men of God, these Pharisees, their failure to be humble condemned them. And, and lastly, and the most important, is the law of Moses condemned them. They did diligently see, see, uh, search the scriptures, but the reason they were not completed through searching those scriptures is they were 
they were searching the scripture with selfish intent. We can't, you can't do that and expect good things to happen. Jesus knew they were feeling condemnation. He knew that they were misunderstanding his motivation. So he says in verse 45, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. And you can't make that sound any nicer than it is. They're self-condemned because they're rejecting the rules, the law of Moses. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And that's really our question today. How will we believe this word, what God is saying to us today? It would be easy to just dust it off and say it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. How we hear and how we open our hearts and our minds to the truth of God's word changes us. And if you have a stony heart, if you have a closed mind, if your eyes are just looking for you know, the flattery of people, then you need to come to Jesus. You need to have one of those come to Jesus moments. Let's pray.